attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audience talk with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm dreaming of doing your own thing, or maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host, Catherine McPhail, and I had with a special guest. Or will it be guests? from the Context and Clarity community. All of this to break down last week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to the backstage area of the Context and Clarity studios. This week on Context and Clarity Live, Mandy Freeland and I talked to Jonathan Siegel. He's an architect, a developer, and the creator of the Architect as Developer courses. We wanted to know what our audience thought, though, about the conversation with Jonathan. So we've invited Isra Banks to join us backstage. Isra is an architect and the founder of Trivec Architects and an educator at the Boston Architectural College in Boston, Massachusetts. So Isra, welcome backstage. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. That's <laughs> <I'm so excited. laughs> great. It's great. It's great to have you here. Um, we well, One of the things that we like to do for these backstage conversations is match 
are what those of you that uh, are just jumping into this don't know that Isra is a mystery guest at this point. Uh, nobody knows who the guest is until the podcast is published. And we try to match up our mystery guests with a topic that they that they are passionate about, something they think is really interesting. And it was great to match Isra up with this conversation with Jonathan Siegel and the conversation of architect as developer. So uh, really appreciate your enthusiasm and uh, willingness to be here, Isra. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate that you have thought of me as someone who would match um, Jonathan Siegel. So I want to say something. I never had any interest in finance before I figured out that I didn't say I figured out, but I feel that um, be becoming an architect developer is the answer for solving uh, most of the profession's problems. And seeing Jonathan Siegel talking to today proved that the everything I thought is right. Like he's taking he, he says he uses the word control but i think it's more of freedom uh freedom of applying the the all the only things that we learn in school and and being efficient in the same time and making these decisions i think that's 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 a perfect solution to everything we talk about <laughs> and andre architect and all the problems that we have in our, our I, I think that's a really great point. He does talk about control, and I think that is important. Um, I think that's an important word. I think it's an important concept. And I, I, you know, you say freedom, and I was as you were saying that I was thinking, and I think that's that's what comes out of having that control, right? Is the freedom to do these things and the freedom to to maybe it's a maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. I don't know. It might be a catch not catch 22, but it might be uh, working on itself, but you, you have the control, which gives you the freedom to control the things that matter most to you. Um, I, I, I thought that was a pretty amazing conversation. Um, Jonathan says that it's all simple, that it's all simple math and things like that. I don't agree with that. I don't think it is. I think he's learned a lot in 33 years but I think it's achievable is, is I guess the, the point really. Um, yeah, just, I just... mean, the math is, looks simple. I, it's not getting, I mean, getting the first part of the money is difficult, but what he made, the, the thing that he made look simple is being the person who is running all these things not just the math. The, the math is I for architects, and I, I'm sure it's, I, I did take a um, real estate finance course, and it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, but being the person, he made it look very easy to be the person who is going after putting together the deal, putting the design, coming up with the idea, which is something architects can do, and being the GC from other people who I, I heard over the years did try going to, into, uh, let's say, design and build and doing design, develop and build. They said it's very difficult to be the same person who uh, does the drawings and 
go on site and, and um, be the superintendent and manage, do the, everything that the GC does. But for Jonathan, I think with the experience and probably has, he has his strength and all these qualities and the knowledge and the leadership, um, he was able to do it all. He's doing the property management. He's doing the, the, the design and build and he's running in it all. And that's not easy. That is definitely not easy. Can't be. <laughs> it cannot be. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. difficult. Yeah. I wonder, and we didn't get into this in the conversation, um, but I wonder at this point how many people, because he, he's obviously the face of Jonathan Siegel, you know, architect and, and developer, but how many people does he have working with him on these, uh, on these projects? Um, th that, that would, if we had another hour to talk to him, that might be a direction we could take the conversation. Um, cause it, it's gotta be, yeah, at the very end, we talked about that, that management, which your property management, which you're alluding to there. <laughs> and that just, that just blew my mind. It's like, there's another layer, it's another yeah. layer of, of what he's, uh, and we didn't talk about, um, being a, a witness expert, an expert. Yeah. is a forensic, um, uh, architect part. And from the conversation, we heard him talking a lot about taking things to mediation. So it seems like probably, I don't know, probably he gained the experience of being a witness from doing all these, you know, be, being in the in, <laughs> being on the job site and learning from the mistakes that he and other contractors done. So looks, yeah, That's everything is tied together. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And if you're listening to this and, and um, you aren't aware, uh, context and clarity is a conversation that we have every day, uh, five days a week. And we typically shape the week around a theme that we're going to talk with our context and clarity live guest about. So this week it was uh, Jonathan Siegel, uh, architect is developer. And we, we went all kinds of directions with that conversation. But uh, we really shaped this week to run in parallel with Jonathan's career, basically, and, and his work. And so I believe it was yesterday as we record this, so it would be Wednesday, the uh, October 20th, we talked about forensic architects and expert witnesses. That was our topic for the context and clarity conversation because Jonathan Siegel offers expert witness uh, services. And we did not get to that in the conversation today with Jonathan, which is fine, but it's just, you know, just another facet of who he is and, and, uh, and what he does. So I think he, in this conversation, even though it was, um, it was a one hour and a big part of it was about cars, but I think he, he laid it out, at, at least for me, he laid out um, a roadmap for, how to get started. Start with your own house, then probably two, I don't know if he meant by one house, one or two units, but it's just your own house, then four, then six, then eight. And then you can, after that, you can have large, probably 16 and a larger development. And I, I think, and and he made really good points. And keep the keep the property for 10 years so you don't get litigated and then, um, there is a, another movement called BRR, that's not for architects, BRR, they, they um, 
start renting and pulling the money, money out of it. And so I think it, it goes, it, it works in line with that movement. And then he's, he's collecting the rent. He's, he can use that money to buy a new property. Um, yeah, I think he laid out a really solid foundation for someone, it, only one hour for someone who wants to get into that foundation. Another observation I had is, um, he talked, he talked about commercial office buildings and he said, uh, I don't recommend it because it's problematic. And, uh, uh, my professor, when I was taking the, not an architecture, I was taking last year, I was taking a real estate finance. He said, well, all the profit is in the commercial and I am not sure how the residential works and probably it's not profitable. But um, I'm positive that Jonathan Siegel is proving him wrong. Uh, he just did not have. It. <laughs> he just did not have the. Uh, he did not do the uh, residential part. <laughs> I mean. Well, I think um, you know, hearing hearing Jonathan speak in the past at conferences and interviews and things. Um, one one of his qualities, and we did not talk about this in the conversation today either but I think one of his qualities is really understanding the marketplace and and he's talked before he he usually says that they were lucky he talks about serendipity but I, there there's sometimes you make your own luck right you're paying attention and and you can see what's coming what's going on and I, I think he said it while we were recording today. We talked to him for a few minutes before we went live as we were doing our tech check, but he was talking about the need for housing, um, you know, in the residential market. And if I, I look at that and to the idea of of um, office space right now, I mean, my guess is that if you are an office developer or manage office space right now, um, you're going to be decimated in the next year, five years, 10 years, just for COVID and everything that, that has happened. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would much rather be on the residential side of the, yeah. of the uh, equation right now. There's always need for housing. Always there's need. So uh, about you, I, I probably this is off topic, but you see the, the strip malls and how they're dying and the, the probably in a couple of years, they're going to turn into offices or clinics. And then the office market would be flooded with uh, properties and just, they're just, they, they just don't know what to do with them. But for residential, that um, you can't like turn a strip mall into, I don't know, it would be a bit more difficult to turn a strip mall into residential. Or maybe you can. We'll see. We'll see who has a creative we'll idea for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mandy, um, I know you were at, um, Jonathan mentioned the um, uh, education summit for AIA California. We talked about education a little bit. Um, and so you were at that summit where he spoke. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways about this conversation and maybe even about the summit when he was when he was speaking at the summit? So the summit, hi, everybody. Um, just getting my my voice into the conversation. You guys are doing an excellent job um, recapping the talk with Jonathan today. But um, so just going back to the education summit that AIA California hosted last week, 
Jonathan was a guest and he came in at the end um, with an idea of looking at what we have for our existing um, accredited degree program for architecture, the five-year professional degree or, you know, whatever the professional degree is, you know, master's, whatever. But he says, take it back a notch, make it four. Um, there's probably, and I'm, and I'm just like summarizing what he said, um, not trying to put words in his mouth, but from, from what I took from what he said was, we spend way too much time on theory, on architecture theory, on, on the basics of design, um, when we should be maybe focusing on how we apply architecture in the real world in, um, in being a developer, in working and understanding economics um, and what the community needs. Um, we push for that a lot in serving the community as architects. Yes. So integrating that into the architecture education is um, seems like a natural fit instead of solely focusing or, you know, the education programs that solely focus on theoretical design so much. I think that it leaves the new graduates unprepared for the real world of transitioning and, and continuing to get their license that next three years, hopefully you get it done in three years, but three, three more years is needed um, to get your license. That apprenticeship time should be adapting to the real world, making architecture, you know, integrate into the community, learning development, learning where the money comes from, learning, <laughs> learning how the economics affect everything else. Um, Everything that he said is is stuff that we talk about all the time. Um, as as architects, we so so his take just you know back to the summit is less education, less architecture education. Like let's get them into the real world. Let's give them um, experience. You know, working in construction or working in development, working for developers. Let's give them that extra peace so that they can become more of a whole architect instead of just putting lines on paper right yeah well to that point i mean he he mentioned in our conversation today that something like three percent of students come out and actually are are quote-unquote designers right they're the ones that are designing um, the projects that you see and you know it if you start your own residential design firm, that that breaks that mold, I'm sure. But you know, I remember my first job out of school at a large firm in Chicago. We had someone who was called the senior designer, right? And 99% of the the design that happened came right out of his out of the end of his pencil. So, um, so he says, what do you say? Three percent. Um, become designers, but we're spending 30% of our, our class time learning the things that we're not going to use if, if, you know, if you're not one of those 3%. And I think that's, uh, that's a, a pretty, pretty strong point there. It's worth talking about. It's worth reevaluating what we're, how we're preparing our graduates and what we're preparing them for. Like, are we preparing them to just, I mean, so just taking a step back, the new graduates that come out, they get hired and they're technical staff for a long time, production staff for a long time. 
And that's, and I think I'm on Jonathan's side. I think that's a waste. I think that, um, that even though they were trained to do design, a lot of design and a lot of hard studio hours and a lot of sweat and, and all of that stuff that there are more practical things that we can teach, um, to be impactful in our communities. And like he said, take control of these projects, <laughs> be the leaders, understand zoning, like understand the impacts of how development impacts the communities and stuff. He, um, that reminded me that, um, I just lost my train of thought. He was talking about the 3% that design. Oh, and then he was talking about um, that he can see a future where if you wanted to, uh, I don't remember the type of building that he used this as ex example, but if you're going to, if you are a CEO and you need to build a building, why wouldn't you go to the contractor? You know, from, and again, this, this is going to offend some architects. I know it. You know, I know it, I knew it when he was saying it, I know it as I'm saying it right now, but practically speaking, if you're the CEO, why wouldn't you go to a contractor and say, I want you to hire an architect under your umbrella? Uh, because it, it, in a way, it makes more sense to have that single point of contact be the person that actually provides the the physical product. And so you know you you get into to that type of of potential future which i think is to me sounds very realistic and it reminds me we've not had him on uh, context and clarity live but he spoke to my pro practice class last year uh neil leach who teaches in california and other places in the world but he's got a book coming out in a little over a month called ai and architecture and he, he studies AI and, and amazing, amazing to hear him talk. Maybe we'll have him on Context and Clarity at some point. But when when we were talking to him, my class and I were talking to him last year, you know, I'm on board. I'm just, you know, I'm just amazed. You know, oh my gosh, look at this technology and what it does and what it can do and all of this. And he got to the point, and I think it was one of the students asked a question, and he said, it was about adaptation, architects adapting AI in their practices. And he said, it's not going to be the architects that are embracing the technology, right? It's not going to be you, Mandy, or you, Isra, saying, yeah, wouldn't it be great if I used AI? And then this sort of being a tipping point to a bunch of architects going, the technology really is cool. He said, it's going to be because your clients demand it. And I, just, I think, I think as I was sitting there that my chin probably hit the table because it was, it was that moment. It's like, you're exactly right. The clients are going to drive that. And, you know, similar to Jonathan's uh, point in, you know, with the CEO, the client can drive that. So what are we doing in, in you know, in relation to that, what are we doing to prepare ourselves prepare our, our our young people the future of the profession what are we doing to prepare them for that um for that future i think that's a big hole i i think we touched on that briefly in clubhouse when you mentioned that in your class or students or something i mentioned that the 
architecture students need to specialize. And, and instead of having all students spending, let's face it, not all architecture graduates are great designers. And there is no point of having them spend, I don't know, thousands of hours designing and doing all. They need to learn basics about design, but some of them needs to have knowledge and development and teaching develop teaching design to developers. I, I, I saw that program and it doesn't look successful. I think it would be more bang for your bucks if you teach development to architects than teaching design to developers. And the organic developers doesn't want to go to school anyway. <laughs> they do have the money and, and they, they have the market knowledge and that's it. So, but if architectural school was teaching people specializing groups into architects developers, architects contractors, um, architects who are focused on codes and litigation and things like that become witness experts. Um, that would, and then also, of course we have like the type of developments and hospitals and things like that because we, we are required to do like some of us do four years and then masters, of course. So if you want to do your masters, you have to have a specialty. You can't just go to your masters and then again, graduate without a specialty. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. Um, so I think if we specialize and have that, that would also make a lot of sense, it would help. Like uh, I remember when I was in school, uh, a professor who was who had just retired, he was a program director, and he said, um, some of you are going to be architects, some of you are going to be writers, some of you, and we're great, that was our final course, some of you are going to be educators, uh, and that's okay, you should embrace that, you can't, I, I, I've never seen a whole bunch of students, all, all of them graduate and become architects, and we were, oh, what? <laughs> Later on. <laughs> it's kind of shocking in your last course, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, make, it makes sense, though. Um, I, I think what you were referring to is when we were talking about that on Clubhouse was that some one of my students suggested that maybe, and, and coincidentally, we had gotten on the topic of architect as developer in, in class that night and 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 then it went to architectural education and you know it's it it all seems to uh, wind itself around itself but um one of the one of my students said that maybe we need to have something like doctors where um uh, what do you call it when the doctors they they do they, they yeah they have their rotations when they are um it's not their internship i'm at a loss for i'm not the residency. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So when they're in the residency, they have their different rotations and the, my student was suggesting we could do the same thing with architects. They could have a, a one or two year residency, so to speak, and focus on all those specialties that you're, you're talking about and, and, and come out and go into that specialty, um, you know, for, for their, for their career after that. And I thought that was a great idea. It is. It is. I'm, I'm going to advocate for that. <laughs> if, 
if anyone gonna ask me, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna propose that. I think um, we have. I, I don't know what it is about the makeup of my class this semester, uh, which is pro practice class, and um, we, we do a little bit differently than the normal pro practice class, but. Um, there are a number of them that are keyed in on this idea of design, build, design, build, development, things like that. So I think there were several of them uh, watching this conversation with Jonathan today. So that was, that was pretty cool to have them um, be able to uh, be a part of the conversation. Is there, um, you know, when we think about the topic, architect as developer, which I guess is sort of a take it or leave it approach. <laughs> you know, there's, I don't, I don't, there's not a ton of middle ground other than just maybe design build, but, um, and it's not going to be for everybody. It's not going to be for every project type, but with everything that we talked about and Jonathan talked about in this conversation, do the two of you see any direct applications to what you do today um, or, or or has it inspired you to do do something different in the future I'm, I'm curious about that <laughs> so in my so in my firm um, I already do a service for developers um, for commercial developers and um, something that I learned in a design build firm, a contractor, general contractor led design build firm that I worked at um, in the 2000s, um, learned how to do planning, learned how to um, work on, on the very initial stages with developers on, on uh, working with real estate, marketing, research, finding the right um, mix, re sort of retail commercial mix use kind of stuff. So, um, in my own firm, I do offer that service of working with developers and I partner up with a civil engineer and we do it together. In my region, I don't know how it's done everywhere else, but um, commercial developments, the developers typically go straight to the civil engineer to start um, working with land, you know, dividing the land um, and you know, just entitlements on the land and, and all that stuff involved. but. They start with the civil engineer doing the site design. And um, so I feel that might be a weakness on their side that it might benefit them to do a partnership with civil engineer and architect together so that we develop a cohesive, <laughs> great end product site together. Um, so not that I would take the lead as developer myself, but I feel that knowing that and having the experience working with developers and partnering up and offering an alternate service, like a non-traditional service um, with my architecture skills um, to developers, it helps them on the front end. Um, you don't have to do full building design. You just have to lay it out, do something conceptual, um, make sure make sure you, I mean, we're really good at doing research. We're great. I mean, that's what we do. We do design and research. But going through and, and working with the civil engineer and um, developing the commercial retail, you know, <laughs> restaurants, all that stuff, 
it's um it's a great service and you know business wise on my side if if the client ends up not working out if they end up not having the money they didn't invest too much in the project they didn't do full services contract with me they did preliminary conceptual just enough to get their feet wet just enough to see if they have funding it's um low commitment on their side it's quick on my side um i think it's so it's something that i like to use in my practice right now i guess so i think i will continue doing it <laughs> if that's if that's the question but i i think it's a great service to, for us to offer and it's great for us to know that we can get in on the very front side of of these projects um and and make them right in the first place right yeah that that absolutely reminds me of the conversation that we had eight weeks ago actually if you're if you're counting in context and clarity time um on context and clarity live eight weeks ago we had james petty who's the author of architect and developer uh what's the uh, subtitle uh, guide to self-initiating projects i think is the uh, the subtitle of his book <laughs> so you're both reaching for your shelves I, know, I, like, I think it's up there somewhere yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so one of the things that that james said related to what you were just talking about mandy was that you know if you're if you're not getting to that front end of the project then by the time someone raises their hand and says i need to hire an architect all the decisions are already made and i thought that was so so on point so powerful when he said it and um and you're saying it now and i think that's exactly right it's how far how how early can you get into the process to bring your best value let's be honest about it your best value is probably in that front end um you may do a killer a bang up jog on uh on construction documents but i am willing to bet that that is not the highest value that you bring to a project. So I love exactly. that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's the biggest thing. And then um, another point uh, where we talked at the beginning, you told me something about you need a lot of guts, but I, I, I argued that uh, being an architect and not making these decisions and putting yourself out there to take all the blame and take the bullets for things for things you haven't decided it takes more guts and it takes more it, it, it's more it's more risky and I like how uh, Jonathan Siegel has wrapped it up in the circle of um, in the integrated delivery method and he said I'm the developer I'm the owner I'm the architect and I'm the GC and yeah it's a lot of work but he's taking he's taking the risk and he is sure that no one is going to sue him and that's the beauty of it yeah yeah i did i did like that sort of ge geometric analogy right he used the the triangle which is the traditional model with the the client the architect and the contractor and then he said there's this circle with everybody in the middle um you know, you just you just described it perfectly yeah and integrated del delivery method. i have sometimes um it's I have I've been in, a, in projects where integrated de delivery method was the way and it seemed to be very efficient. But sometimes when we touch on it in class, some students would argue, well, why would the architect give their voice 
and, and give their their voice on and, and share it with the others and let them make decisions let's say like uh, reaching out to engineers and authorities and civil engineers and everyone but it's efficient and I argue that the architects should not if they have the authority but they're also doing the research doing their part uh, by listening to everyone on discussing things so then the process of design development there's no value engineering the process of design development is going to be pretty easy and and at the time is proven to be shorter uh, but make it more efficient and make that person there's only one person who's doing everything no he's not of course he's he's relying on everyone else's expertise but he's taking the whole risk and that's that's great yeah, and I think one of the big keys, and I don't know if this is a misnomer or not. I don't know if the, if people misunderstand this or not. But now we've we've had two really great architect as developer guests on Context and Clarity, and I think we really need to understand that the the risk versus reward uh, equation works much better in your favor on the architect as developer side because you yes of course you're if if you are the architect there's risk if you are the builder there's contractor there's risk if you're the developer there's risk and, and so on and so forth but each 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 one of those characters in the story is compensated somehow and the the really glaring problem is that let's just say that your fee, your architectural fee, architecture only fee is somewhere between seven and ten percent or whatever it is. You're capped at that, and your risk doesn't end when you've drawn the last line, right, in your construction docs or your last site visit for CA or whatever whatever. You know, wherever you draw the line, you, you've wrapped up the project, you close the file and you move on. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't stop there. You're not compensated beyond that point, but your risk keeps going. And, you know, in these models that um, that these guys, James Petty and, and of course, today, Jonathan Siegel talk about you're being compensated as an architect, as a builder, as a as a developer and yes, there's risk in all of those, but you, you, you structure things to mitigate risk and you keep getting paid. You, your compensation keeps going. It doesn't end when the last nail is driven or whatever, whatever the analogy is. But um, the, risk versus, the risk versus reward equation is way out of whack on the, on the architecture side, uh, which I find very fascinating about uh, about these conversations hopefully these have inspired some in the community to uh to like like jonathan said if one person decides to 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 uh jump in and do this then he's his time was well spent and i agree i'd, I'd love to see some more from the community start to develop their own projects so for me the number one model motivation to become a developer is to be able to implement everything I've learned without being, you know, stopped. 
every, everything I stand for, everything I learned, I want to put it there, out there and make people, you know, enjoy it. And I think that's a, that's a, the biggest disappointment <laughs> in, 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 uh, in, in my professional career as an architect. Like there's always the, someone who would say, oh, no, I don't want it this way. I think one of the one of the biggest takeaways that you can that you'll get developing your own projects or or building your own projects, you know, either one um, is learning the decision making process and why why things are done better on your plans, why certain materials are selected, like easier to get quicker to ship, easy to assemble, doesn't take technical um you know specialized tools or anything to to put together all these things like we don't know this stuff and we won't know this stuff until we build our own and develop our own projects but there's a lot that goes on in in the build part and the development part that we could improve on our side on the architecture side by knowing more of that side definitely yeah, we, we talked about that before we hit record and, and somebody asked the question. So if you're listening to this and you, and this was your question, I apologize. I didn't catch who asked the question and we didn't get it uh, in front of Jonathan. But the question was, does being a developer make you a better architect? And I, I think that answer has to be absolutely yes to, to what you're saying there, Mandy. Yeah, I, I know we touched on the the idea of of education a little bit, and um, before before we hit before we went live with Jonathan, we were talking about uh, Woodbury in San Diego, where he uh, co-founded the real estate development program. They shut Woodbury down; it's it's closed now. Um, but um, you know, I I would love for there to be some programs where students are actually developing projects as part of their their academic pursuit. I don't I don't know if that's a master's. I don't know if that's a you know some s separate certificate or whatever it is, but I th I absolutely believe that that would turn out better architects um, the the more people that we have going through programs like that. Uh, it's too, so it's too bad that that Woodbury uh, shut down. I was doing I was doing the research leading up to the the conversation today, and I was reading about Woodbury, and it's rated the number one uh, real estate development program in the in the country, and all of this. And then Jonathan says, "Well, yeah, they just they suddenly shut it down." Um, so that's that's a real shame. But maybe we can uh, find some more of those sprouting up at other colleges and universities around. I'd love to see that. I'd we, love to be involved um, in that. I bet you would. The uh, education summit that took place last week, we we talked about that. And we talked about one of the solutions, just um, the studio environment, the studio teaching environment gives you the opportunity, but it, it relies on the on the teacher, right, on the curriculum. Um, but it, um, we thought that maybe one of the solutions was to do that exact thing, work in real estate development, real world application into a studio. And so it's not just theoretical design, but um, actual real world that we have a, we have a way maybe just using the studios. 
um, to make it work. So that's just one of the other solutions, um, helping the education side. And, and these conversations that have been happening the last couple of weeks on context and clarity um, opened the door to a lot of people attending a lot of really great um, programs in, in the architecture schools here in the United States that integrate urban design, that integrate um, real estate. I'm, I'm learning so much that there are those programs out there. We would love to see those replicated, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and, you know, I shared this the other day, my, I'm in, I'm in Indiana, I'm in Indianapolis. And so I know Ball State really well because it's in Muncie, Indiana. That's where I teach. Um, and I know Notre Dame really well. It's in South Bend, Indiana. Um, and if they are any indication, I think there's a movement towards bringing the entire design and construction ecosystem into the colleges of architecture at Ball State, it's CAP, it's College of Architecture and Planning, whatever they're called. Uh, Notre Dame has real estate development inside and interior design, architecture, of course, and um, Ball State has architecture, landscape architecture, urban planning, construction management, and interior design all now inside, um, not real estate development. That's not an offering. But um, but if that's a trend, uh, that makes me hopeful. Um, and, I, and I like the idea. You know, you could, you could make studios more realistic. Uh, my feeling is it's going to need to be more than a semester to to make it more realistic. That's one thing we suffer from in my class. We do the, um, basically the shark tank final where they pitch their business idea and you just don't, you don't have enough time to fully develop. So you do what you can right in a semester, but, but, uh, anything to move it, move it in, in, I think a more realistic direction would be helpful. Yeah. I have the same problem. And my courses are broken down into eight weeks. Um, yeah, for oh, wow. practice management, eight weeks, project management, eight weeks, and then construction and evaluation. So it's a pretty quick course. And... I guess I shouldn't complain about my 16 yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I get a full 16. So, um, with, with fall break and field trip week taken out, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's, it's more than eight. So I'll be, I guess I'll count my blessings there. Yeah. <laughs> well, any any last word, any last thoughts on um, on this conversation with with Jonathan, um, the architectural education architect as developer, um, and any last big takeaways or, or where you're, what you're going to do uh, tomorrow with with this information that we gathered today? Well, I think it's not. We talked about he make it looks easy. So I think he gained all that experience from all over the years. So if someone who's starting, just probably me, I not me, my probably three years future me, um, you, you hire a GC or hire a lot of people to, to learn from until you probably develop that confidence or that wealth of knowledge to be able to you know run the whole show but yeah find partners and learn from others mandy was making a great point about like we don't know much about lead time about what's available the prices of of products so yeah and that is 
probably one of the important issues when how to find uh, good subs, good contractors, uh, in addition to finding the initial amount of money <laughs> than the initial. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's an important point. Jonathan Siegel has been at this for 33 years. He's doing a, a high-rise project now for the first time, I believe. Um, as with anything, you know, we can't look at him where he is today and and say, okay, how do I do that? Right? We've got to go back 33 years. And, and, and the great thing is he's sharing his knowledge and his information. We're not trying to sell his course, but he's got his architect, his developer courses, um, you have tools available to you that he didn't have that he's helped develop. Um, but, but go back, you know, he said it in the conversation today, start with your own house. Uh, James Petty said something very similar eight weeks ago when we talked to him. Uh, so, you know, go back to the beginning with, with these examples, just like you would anybody, you know, any other, uh, person you might look up to that. That's the important part. You're not, I don't think you're jumping in and, and, uh, uh, developing a, a high rise in the next <laughs> few months. So, uh, that, that's a really great point. And I love, I love that he broke it down and made it not as scary. It's not scary. It's just steps. You just start small. You learn as you go, you, you grow bigger. That's how it works. You learn how the money works. You learn how to reinvest. You learn how long to keep it so you can, so you can keep as much money as you can to reinvest later. Um, it's, I love how he made it just, just an easy process. It's intimidating and anything new for us is, you know, we, we just want to focus on plans and building science and appeasing clients, but, um, stretching our wings into this development service or, or offering, or, um, you know, even just being the developer ourselves for our own projects. That's, we can definitely, definitely do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't think about that until you said that, but, uh, we had Pat Flynn as a guest uh, a couple of weeks ago. And my, one of my takeaways with Pat was he, he did such a great job of breaking things down into these little achievable steps. And that's exactly what Jonathan did um, today as well. And ironically, they're both in San Diego for whatever that's worth. But, but, um, but you're exactly right. He he broke it down. There's still a lot of things he talked about that I don't understand. Right? I'm not a finance guy. I suppose I could learn it. Um, but by following these little steps that he he broke it down into, I'm pretty sure I, I would uh, have a better chance of being successful than if I just tried to to um what's what's the uh eat eat the eat the whale or whatever it is how do you eat a whale one one bite at, or elephant how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time so we're gonna take it one bite at a time <laughs> that's, that's good well isra and mandy thank you both for being here i guess today i have uh two special guests with me today mandy i really appreciate you uh filling in for Catherine. she's away at fiddle camp right now uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Catherine is a, uh, a Scottish fiddler. She's at fiddle camp this week. So Man Mandy was kind enough to uh, step in and take Catherine's place as the co-host today and did a fantastic job. So thank you for that, Mandy. And 
Absolutely. It's great having you. And, and uh, Isra, thanks for being our mystery guest. It's still a mystery as we record this, but <laughs> I guess if you're listening to this by now, you figured it out. Isra is our guest. Isra Banks is our guest for uh, Context and Clarity Backstage this week. Uh, so Isra, thanks for, for uh, bringing the uh, passion and the energy to this uh, conversation. I'm, I'm uh, so glad that you were able to be our uh, special guest this week. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really Absolutely. Great, great to have both of you. And for those of you out there listening, thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you caught the uh, conversation with Jonathan Siegel. If not, go back and, and listen to it. Um, obviously, we had a lot of great takeaways. Uh, we enjoyed the conversation. We, le we learned a lot. I hope you uh, did as well. And also, I encourage you, I've dropped a few names during this conversation. Um, but we've been doing uh, Context and Clarity since April 6th of 2020. We're up to about, this is I think maybe about our 40th Context and Clarity Live where we've had a special guest. So we've talked to a lot of people about a lot of topics. Eight weeks ago, like I said, James Petty, same topic, architect as developer. So we've had a solid two hours of conversations about becoming an architect and a developer. Those resources are out there. Um, they're here, uh, wherever you can, you're consuming this podcast right now. Uh, they're over on YouTube on the Entree Architect, uh, YouTube channel. And if you're an architect or an architecture student or working towards becoming an architect, I'd encourage you to go over to Facebook and check out the Entree Architect community Facebook group. It is a private group just for architects and students and people, uh, working to become an architect. Um, Almost 7,400 members from around the world. I looked at the stats the other morning. About 5,300 of those members have been active in the last month. Um, it, so that tells you that there's a lot of really great conversations going on. A very supportive group. Um, you can learn a lot. You can ask a lot of questions. You can share your knowledge wherever you are uh, in the context of the conversation of the moment. It's a, it's a great place to be. So go check that out. Join us. It's the home of everything Context and Clarity. And uh, we'll be back next week on Context and Clarity Live. We'll have Laura Teagarden, who is an architect in Indianapolis. She's a friend of mine. She's about two miles. Uh, I'm pointing. I'm pointing west right now. She lives about two miles over there. Um, and so we're going to talk to Laura um, about architecture, certainly. But she's published a couple books. One is about taking the ARE and her most recent is the uh, Little Architects Alphabet. So it's about uh, teaching architecture to young children. So I think that'll be a fun conversation with Laura uh, next Thursday, which uh, will be October 28th. So join us for that. Context and Clarity Live, 4 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, and on LinkedIn. And then, of course, we're going to record this Context and Clarity backstage with another mystery guest Next week, can't tell you who it is, but we're going to record that, our biggest takeaways uh, from the conversation with Laura. So again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for making context and clarity a thing. Be well, be safe, keep those around you safe and well. Find a little bit of time to breathe, relax, rejuvenate, because we're going to do this again tomorrow. Um, so I hope that I'll see you somewhere sometime soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mandy and Ezra, thank you. Have a great evening.
All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from the Context and Clarity live conversation or from our breakdown right here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter and let me know what your takeaways were. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us to get the message out and help us to help more architects just like you. Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well. There you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity live again with a new special guest and a new theme for next week. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's also the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics just like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode, and in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always 
questioning like us can we do this are we ready to do this are we prepared can we do it did we just decide a name <laughs> we did it guys oh the one that God. came out of nowhere Woo! it came out of nowhere i liked it i saw it ready to turn your aspirations into reality follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to emerging and chart your own path to architectural success